0: Thanks, Julie, and good morning, Cedar Mill. You know, about a month into quarantine, one of my daughter's closest friends has celebrated her 16th birthday. And it's a big birthday, and because she wasn't allowed to have a party, Skylar decided to organize a drive-by surprise party for her. So we planned it all. We lined up at the end of the street in our cars with our balloons and banners and signs. And then just as Anna's parents invited her out front for some birthday pictures— We all went driving by, honking, yelling, screaming, waving our signs, saying, Anna, we love you. Happy birthday, we miss you. And it really was a great event um, to kind of break up the monotony of the quarantine. But I'll tell you what the part I liked the best. It was seeing Anna's reaction because this young 16-year-old girl burst into tears. And it reminded me just how much we all love and long to be appreciated and celebrated. And that's what birthdays are about. Birthdays are a way we say, we love you, not because of anything you've accomplished or anything you've done, but just because of who you are. And so today I wanna take a break from our Daniel series to do another birthday party of sorts at a distance, because today is Pentecost. And Pentecost is a day on the church calendar that's often called the birthday of the church. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about the church. I want to talk about who we are and what we're about because I find there's a lot of confusion out there about the church. Sometimes people tend to think of the church as a place. We drive past signs and we see buildings and all this reinforces that church is a place that you go. I go to the gym, I go to school, I go to church. Or people think of church not as a place but as an event a gathering, a worship service that I put on my calendar, that's church. Or finally, sometimes we think about the church as an institution or an organization whose primary goal is to fuel my own individual spiritual life. And so in the same way that we go to Target for household goods or Safeway for groceries or Chipotle for really good burritos, We tend to think of the church as a place that's meant to inspire me, and so I go there to get inspired or encouraged or fueled up for my spiritual life. But friends, the Bible says something different about the church. The Bible says the church is not a building or a gathering or just a handy institution, but that we are a body of believers, a community of followers, the bride of Christ, or maybe my favorite, a family of people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow him together. That's the church. You see, there's a lot of debate in our world right now about church. Should we have it? Will we open? When will we open? What is our role in this current culture? How should we live in response to the new realities and challenges that are emerging in our world? And so, again, today I want to talk about the church and remind us of some things that I believe Pentecost calls us to remember about who we are. If you have your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 2. This is where the story of Pentecost is found. And as you turn, I'll just remind you of what's happening. Jesus has risen from the grave, he has come to spend some time with his followers. And now, as he's ascended into heaven, they have been instructed to wait in Jerusalem, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, verse one. Here's where we pick up the story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pause. When the day of Pentecost came. This day of Pentecost is a was an important day. It was a Jewish Festival celebration where the people gathered to remember this enormous event from their history, this moment when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. In other words, Pentecost was a day when the people celebrated the thing in their minds that distinguished them as God's people over and above everything else the fact that they had been given God's law. In other words, The law was at the very center of their identity as a community. Who were they? They were people of the law. But now, God is going to use this moment, this Pentecost festival, to make a very clear and important change. In this moment, he's going to redefine what it truly means to be his people. You see, it's on this day, and if you continue reading the story, that that Peter will stand up and he will preach a message about the gospel. He'll talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, his resurrection, how death has been defeated through him, and then, then at the end, in his summary statement, perhaps the most important verse of the entire chapter, verse 36, this is what Peter says. He says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. In other words, at the very center of what makes us God's people is not God's law, it's God's son. It's God's savior. It's the fact that Jesus is Lord and that he's our Lord. He's the defining characteristic of who we are as a people. Friends, this means this. We are as the church, now take our cues from Jesus. We live and we focus on the things that Jesus focused on and calls us to focus on as his people. The scriptures have a name for Jesus. It's used throughout the Bible over and over again. He's referred to as the cornerstone, the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of the church. And a cornerstone in ancient architecture um, was the very first stone laid, and it needed to be perfect. It had to be perfectly shaped. It had to be perfectly placed because all the other stones were going to line up with it. And friends, in the scripture analogy, we are those other stones. The church is all of those stones, and we are called to line up our lives perfectly with Jesus, our cornerstone, Again, this means that what he cared about and focused on is what we are called to care about and focus on. Whatever was a priority to him has now become a priority for us. And friends, Jesus was focused on the kingdom of God, on bringing justice and peace and love and joy and hope and reconciliation to our world. You know, one thing you'll notice, if you read the New Testament, you'll notice that People were always trying to pull Jesus away from his mission and onto their mission. They were always trying to get him to shift from his agenda to their agenda. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about this issue? Jesus, what do you think about this strategy or this idea? Jesus, can you believe that Caesar is forcing us to pay these obnoxious taxes? I mean, shouldn't we fight that? Shouldn't we stand against it? And I'll never forget Jesus' response, he says, you see these coins? Interesting that they have the image of Caesar on them. And so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. But do you know about you, your body, your life? The very image of the almighty God of heaven and earth, he has been engraved on your very life. And so you give to Caesar what Caesar's, but you make sure to give to God what is God's. You see, time and time again, Jesus keeps his focus and aim on God's agenda and God's priorities in this world. And as his church, as his body and his bride, so must we. The church, point one, is built on the son of God. Two, the church is led by the spirit of God. Again, Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You know, fire is such a captivating thing. At least it is for me. Anytime I'm around a campfire, I just cannot take my eyes off off of it. It's just magnificent and marvelous. In fact, one of my very favorite things to do in Oregon in the summer is to go camping and sit around a campfire with my family and friends and have great conversation. And and fire, fire has always been a powerful image and it's certainly an important image in the Bible as well. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham by showing himself as a blazing torch. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush, a bush that burns but doesn't burn up, and he tells Moses, hey, I'm going to lead you back to Egypt so that you can deliver my people. But maybe the image that was foremost on the people's minds at Pentecost was the image from Exodus chapter 13. And in this chapter, we learn that God led his people through the wilderness, through the desert by a pillar of fire at night. You see, fire in the Bible has always been an image of God leading his people. So at Pentecost, when all of a sudden fire, these tongues of fire shows up, we can see that God is making a very clear and profound statement. And here's what he's saying. Once again, I am gathering a people that I will lead and use in this world. Once again, I am gathering a people to myself and I will lead them by my spirit to do my will in this world. And what's interesting to me is both the individual and the communal nature of this moment. Because on one hand, every single person there got their own little tongue of fire. The tongues of fire appeared over each one. But they appeared as the people gathered together. Friends, I believe Pentecost is teaching us here that God leads us personally by his spirit, but that he does this in the context of his church. Haven't you ever found that that when you gather together with your church, as the church, the Holy Spirit will sometimes just come alive in you and and begin to, to convict you or challenge you or encourage you or inspire you in ways that maybe he doesn't when you're just by yourself. You see, there's something about our togetherness, the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you, that when we are connected as a community, he he gets activated, he starts to move. You know, a lot of us know the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul talks about your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. These are verses we often quote, you know, your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But did you know that this is the only place in all of Scripture where this idea of the Holy Spirit living in us is talked about individually? In every other place where the Bible says you're a temple of God or you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, it speaks collectively. The Bible is saying you, plural, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, again, Pentecost reminds us that God did not send his spirit to lead a bunch of individual followers, but in spite of her imperfections, the Holy Spirit is sent to lead God's church. One, the church is built on the Son of God. Two, the church is led by the Spirit of God. And finally, the church must seek the unity of God. Verse five, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, resi- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Friends, it means this. God desires unity for his church and unity through his church in our world. God desires unity for his church and through his church in our world. Remember in the Old Testament, there's a story when, when human beings from all over the earth gather together to build a city and a community and, and a tower but they seek to build this tower in selfishness and arrogance by, by human might, sort of in defiance to God. But as the story continues, we discover that, that God thwarts their plans and he actually takes away their ability to speak a common language and then they're scattered all over the earth. You probably remember what that tower was called. It was called the Tower of Babel. So here we have this event where selfishness and pride and arrogance leads people to be divided. But now we fast forward to Acts chapter two, this passage we're in, the day of Pentecost, and now people are gathered together again from all over the world. Only this time, they're gathered in humility. This time, they are gathered to thank God for his provision. This time, when God shows up, their language is not divided, it's united. This is God saying, my church is to be a place where people come together. This is God telling his church that we are called to seek unity. This is God saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his church can overcome even the most divisive issues in our world. Friends, do you see that there are so many issues that seek to divide us in our world these days? People are are polarizing and being pulled apart all around us. There's social division, there's political division, there's racial division. We saw this again in Minneapolis with the tragic death of George Floyd. And friends, I have to say it is time for the church to stand up and seek unity and seek reconciliations with our brothers and sisters of color. We can no longer stand by and be silent on these issues. We just cannot because we are the church of Jesus. You see, sometimes when we talk about unity, there is this false impression that we are saying, can't we all just get along? I mean, unity, can't we all just, can't we just sweep things under the rug and get along? But that's not the biblical idea of behind unity. The Bible's idea of unity, the biblical call to unity, is that God's people would unite around things that are important to God's heart. I'll say that again. The biblical call to unity is that God's people would unite around things that are important to God's heart. This means that we must always be on the lookout for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the downtrodden, for the orphan, and the widow, and the immigrant, As as Christ's church, we must be a voice for the voiceless in our society. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are to have a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation vertically with our Lord, but then also horizontally with one another. Again, Sometimes when we read it, that sounds so nice and sweet and fun, but this is hard, messy work that often leads to conflict, friends. Conflict with powerful, deeply ingrained, prejudiced, sinful, selfish desires that God is calling his church to both acknowledge and fight and turn away from. You know, one of my favorite verses, one of Maybe your favorite verses as well. A verse I often hear Christians talking about is Proverbs 27 17. This verse says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Friends, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Man, doesn't that sound good? Well, this is a verse about conflict. You see, this is a verse about growth through pain because when iron sharpens iron, there are always sparks. So when we say the church must seek the unity of God, we are embracing a calling to swim in some deep waters. We're embracing a calling to engage conflict and to make people who are experiencing injustice in our world important to us. Because again, we follow Jesus and that is exactly what he did time and time and time again. He engaged the marginalized and the oppressed and the downtrodden in his world. In fact, I would actually argue that this is the the logic behind why he even came. He came down from heaven to earth because he saw you and me and all of creation experiencing injustice. And he longed for unity and reconciliation. He looked down from his position of privilege and power and said, The injustice of sin ravaging the lives of my children is not something that I can stand. And so he came and he walked into our brokenness and our mess that things might be made right. And now we, as God's people, as the bride of Christ, as those who claim to follow him, we must live and act the same way. We must commit to be ministers of reconciliation in this world as we seek the unity of God. And friends, that's a lot. That's intense. And if it sounds overwhelming to you, let me remind you of this. This is our calling together. Together as God's people, together as his church. You see, God isn't calling you into this mess alone. He's calling you into this mess with his church. And Never forget, never forget what Jesus said about his church. This is from Matthew sixteen Jesus said, "I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades, nothing in this world not no evil, no no terrible power, no forces of darkness, no racism, nothing can overcome." the work of God through his church in our world. That's Jesus' promise. That's his declaration. So happy birthday, church. May you continue to be Christ's church, his body, his bride, who you're called to be in this world. Amen.